Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Looking Forward, Giving Back. Today, I am super excited to have the third, I'm calling it sort of a mini series or third episode in my mini series, introducing folks to the Community Foundation of Snohomish County staff. Today, I'm looking forward to giving back. We have Angelique Leone joining us. Angelique is Vice President of the Community Foundation of Snohomish County. Welcome, Angelique. Thanks so much Thank for joining you. us. Thank you for having me. I listened to uh, Big Dog and Dr. J, so the bar is pretty high. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure at all. I'll try to be witty, pithy and witty. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Actually, oftentimes I, when talking to professional advisors, I get lots of questions about the community foundation. So who are we? What do we do specifically? What's going to happen when I actively involved in? And so I want to hear a little bit about that. So can you tell us a little bit about your role as VP um, and what do you do? What's your favorite part of the job too? Sure. Thanks. Um, well, the best way to describe my role is I'm on both sides of the coin of philanthropy. So I work with the nonprofits. So I work with them on how they could best fulfill their mission, which includes um, relationship and financial. And on the flip side, I work with the donors and how can they find that relationship and support the nonprofits and financials. So working with both sides of the coins allows a deeper relationship for the donors and at a different level than if you didn't have the community foundation who works hand in hand with them. So the favorite part of my job is uh, what I call my matchmaking. When we find just the right nonprofit to work with just the right donor and we, we see transformational impact happening and the joy of what philanthropy could be. In addition, some of the other work that I do is I work with other funders, other foundations to help them also create those relationships. And um, the fact is we're really good at what we do in Snohomish County. So others ask us to help them find those right connections. Great, oh, terrific. I love the, the idea of you being like match.com for <laughs> nonprofits and donors. Yeah. 100% satisfaction guarantee. We will find the love match. But in a non-creepy way. <laughs> yes. Exactly, in a non-creepy, completely professional way. Exactly. Awesome. So Angelique, you, so you've been at the Community Foundation for, it's been three four years. years? Three years. Three. Okay. Feels, so like like three. Feels, feels like four. Feels like four. Feels like 10. Feels like a lot longer. That was COVID right after. Yes, seriously. Yeah, feels longer. What year is it? What day is it? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your, how your job has grown over the past couple of years. We at the Community Foundation have gone through a lot of changes um, specifically in terms of our, our priorities when it comes to racial equity and racial justice in everything that we do. So tell us a little bit about that. How has your job grown? How has it changed? And how has CFSC's commitment to advancing racial justice played a role in that work? It's played a big role, but I think first we have to acknowledge that I personally had to go through my, my own journey and that that's important because we all bring that to our jobs. So um, being able to understand philanthropy and the system that it is um, and the, the hardship it created for BIPOC organizations is really important to me to be able to then to explain it to others of what we're doing. So I think the biggest way um, that it's changed that was immediate was that we took a look at it. 
how many white-led organizations were we funding compared to BIPOC? And we, just like uh, 99% of other funders, gave 90% of our money to white-led organizations. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, that's a bias. It's not that there weren't BIPOC organizations, immigrant refugee organizations doing amazing, impactful work. It was we weren't funding them because of the hardships and the obstacles we placed to get to us. And we, we love to think that we are easy. Our grants are easy. Oh, it's so easy. You can just call us. Well, it isn't if you faced calling donor, donors, funders, or others before and not getting through, not getting funded, not understanding the system, not understanding how things are funded. So when we looked at how we were basically doing a poor job of it, we decided how do we change? And we looked to the community to see how do we do that? Where's the trust? Where does the trust need to be built? What relationships do we have? And it can't be me. People can't see me. I'm a white woman who um, is in her mid fifties. And like most, um, you know, people in nonprofit, that's what we reflect, but it's not the reflection of the great work being done. So finding others who understood the work in the community and asking them how we could change made a big difference. Once we realized that we could make, we built the obstacles, we can take them down. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. So let's start taking them down. We changed the criteria of our grants. We started to ask the question, are you BIPOC led? You know, that's, we didn't even ask that question. So we started to ask in our grants if the organization were led by people of color. So um, that was huge to find out how many were applying and not applying. And then we started to do outreach to those same communities and asking for those organizations to trust us and to partner with us. And I know it sounds odd, but COVID allowed a lot of things to happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And it allowed us to look at that granting in such a different way where we were able to go to those communities of color and say, we want to help, we'll let you lead it we just want to support it through money. And then we did what we said. So that was huge. We didn't put restrictions on what we gave. We trusted that they were leading the community in the right way. And then we found other ways to support them in their organization that wasn't financial. Um, and by building that trust, we learned about other organizations and other people that we could give to and other communities that could use our help. And within the past two years, we've now started to give um, more than 50% of our grants to um, organizations led by communities of color. That's huge in a two to three year time frame. Mm -hmm. And again, it's important that these nonprofits were doing the work and they were doing it financially well. They were doing it with community impact. We just weren't supporting them. And once we started supporting them and realized what an impact they made, we were able then to share that with our donors. And so how our conversations with our donors then changed. Um, and we were able to say, we have these relationships now, we know these more impactful organizations, maybe we talk to you about it. Great, what, so, how, so walk me through it a little bit. So one of the things that I know that I talk with my, the professional advisors that I work with, uh, most of whom are white, how do I even start these conversations with my clients? So how, if you have a white donor, and you 
want to talk about, they're asking you and say, you know, what sort of organizations are out there? What sort of opportunities do I have as a donor advice fund holder, for an example, mm-hmm. to what organizations can I support, Angela? What's going on in the community? So how do you start those conversations about talking about organizations that are led by people of color, organizations that are, are affecting and are benefiting communities of color in particular, and why our community foundation feels it's important to support those organizations? Yeah, great question. And, you know, it's not just one conversation, right? It's, it's a series, right? So, um, you know, first we have to start where the donor's at. What is your interest? So let's take an example of a recent donor I spoke to who was interested in food banks and was giving to food banks and love food banks, right? They're really important. No problem. Again, no judgment. Food banks are great. The the conversation I had with this particular donor who was a white male was, you know, food banks are great, but what if we work to put food banks out of business? And he went, oh, how do you do that? I said, well, why is there food insecurity and food disparity to begin with? And we went down that role of generational wealth. We went down of communities and of who is supporting who and what does it look like and cultural relevance of food Mm -hmm. banks and all of the things that he never thought of because he was like, people need food. Here's a food bank. By the end of the conversations, he's like, well, how do we stop that? And that there's the conversation. And it was like, well, here are the organizations who are dealing with that. Here are the black farmers here are the culturally relevant food banks that um, not only answer the food needs and culturally relevant food banks could be rather than um, pasta, there's rice, you know, rather than um, meat, there's vegetarian food, whatever it might be that would make it culturally relevant. Um, it's like, what else are they doing? How else do they do? Where's the job security? Where's the generational wealth? Where? And that conversation changed where the donor started to give. Doesn't stop him from giving to food banks. Again, we're not doing it right. But now it's also like, how do I do even more? How do I go further upstream so that we don't have that need and we could address something else? Great, great. Now that's that's a that's a great example because I know that we've, you know, I don't want to go off too much on the tangent of food banks, but we, I know as a community foundation, have been working really actively for a number of years with a lot of the local food banks that are doing amazing work in our community and having these discussions about how can we better meet the needs of the community and whether it's communities of color, whether it's people who don't have transportation, how can we create access? And you could take, you know, I did food, food banks because that was the one I recently had a conversation with, but another one would be uh, kindergarten readiness. Uh Right. That's a big concern right now. And I've had uh, quite a few donors talk about that because you read about it in the papers or that, you know, so many kids uh, can't get to childcare or preschool. And we start talking about, you know, the affordability of childcare and what that means to a rural community. And when there is only one childcare center and there's no spots and there's no and, and why is that and what is that in that community and how far do those parents have to drive to get to a job which might be their second or third job and you know who else is taking care of the children and then how do you prepare a child for kindergarten when you're home exhausted and you don't have a book in a Spanish language because that's not available to you to even read to your child at night 
So I think you could take that. So, so when you talk about going back to your original question, and we, we could easily go off on tangents. Yeah, 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 right, right. Six other topics I would love to go off, and I'll talk to anybody about of like what that means. It's like meeting that donor, where's your passion? And then let's talk about it. It's the the passion wasn't food banks necessarily, and it's not early childcare. It's helping families with young children be resilient and thrive. It's making sure that families do not have to have the stigma and trauma of finding food for themselves. So we could take that and really expand it and talk about the racial inequities that are within our communities and how there's nonprofits addressing it that they might not have heard about because they're not the ones that you see splashed across the website because they don't have one, they're busy doing the work. That's what the community foundation knows and does. And that's how those deeper relationships come in because your professional advisors are ad advising their professionalism is on their financials. Our professionalism is on communities and what we could do. So in partnership, we're able to take those financial resources and actually fulfill some of their clients' wishes of what they hope their community looks like. No, that's great. I think that also too gets to one of, my, one of the points that I wanted to highlight. A lot of advisors say to me oftentimes, especially sort of in the early stages of, of of meeting, meeting me and meeting the community foundation of, well, Elena, you know, what's the difference between a community foundation donor advised fund and a donor advised fund, a more a commercial donor advised fund. So one at Fidelity or Vanguard or one of the more commercial financial houses. So what's the difference? And, you know, the, the fees are, seem to be a lot less at these commercial donor advised funds than at the community foundation of Snohomish County. So why would I send my client to you as opposed to this other donor advised fund. And I always lead with client services. I always lead with donor services. And I think you're, you just provided a great example of, we have that on the ground knowledge of, we know who's doing what and what are the, what are the root causes of the problem? What are the root causes of poverty? What are the root causes, causes of kiddos not being ready for kindergarten? Um, and how can we really work with donors in a really interactive way to help them really get at those root causes so that really can, we can make a better community. Um, well, and I think, you know, as hard as it may seem to hear, philanthropy can be really scary because you think of those big names, you know, Ford Foundation, Robert Woods, you know, locally Gates and Allen. And it's like, you know, they have a staff of hundreds of thousands and they're, you know, stopping malaria and that type of thing. And so when you have a client who's like, has to do philanthropy because either it's in their soul or it's smart financial business and they don't know where to start. Yeah. You can't go to a commercial anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's overwhelming. You wouldn't know where to begin. And not only would you, you would become so stymied by the, the vastness of need that you wouldn't be able to hone in on how you could make a difference. Yeah. And so we help that. And we can help it being as specific as possible as I talked about those examples or as wide as we have with donors who are like, you know, I'm interested in the environment, but I don't want to learn about it. I'm about to go and travel. I, you know, I have my grandkids. I don't want to do it, but I want to make sure money goes to the environment. Well, we have environment funds where we do all the research. We give out to all of the um, organizations that we're vetting, watching, supporting, and networking with, and they can go off on their vacation knowing that their environment 
fund is doing well without having to have those deep conversations about which organizations do I do. So I think that's on both sides of that, that, that spectrum of, I wanna know everything about an organization, get very involved and know everything. And then it's for those donors who say, I just know I like arts and I don't wanna know any more than I like arts. And, and, and if you give it to a commercial one, it's gonna sit there until you tell them which arts organization you want. Where instead, if you tell that to us, we can say, great, do you want it in Everett or Stanwood or do you care? And then if they're like, yeah, this is great. Now go off and we will take care of it. And we'll tell you everything you want to know. And then maybe in the future, those clients are going to want to get more involved and do more things. But in the meantime, they fulfilled their financial need. They fulfilled their soul of philanthropy and the community has helped. So that's the difference. The difference is us. We know we can do it. And, you know, we're also helping those communities come together. I think when you hear about those big names that I just mentioned of the foundations, part of their um, power is that they can bring people together. We do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we have collaborative efforts where we bring together anywhere from two to 20 nonprofits to answer something. So there's an art center built, being built in Stanwood Camino because of our efforts to bring a group together, including bringing donors together to do it, as well as all of the arts organizations. There's family support centers that are getting um, national, state, and local funding because we brought them all together to advocate. Food banks are another one. Senior centers are another one. So that's the other aspect of what we do is that we can bring that pooling power of being able to pull people together of all different areas within the nonprofits and make an impact with their dollars, both with their individual dollars as well with others and bring in some force to that making change. That's great. No, I, and I think I love the, that you highlighted to the collaborative work that we do. And so the kind of the, the, the facilitating partnerships that this, I was talking to this attorney actually a couple of days ago um, who actually I interviewed for a podcast. So stay tuned, <laughs> you're going to hear from her in a future episode. But, you know, we were talking about, she was saying, so she's an estate planning attorney. So one of, one of the issues that she has with clients is that if she's going to recommend a nonprofit, so if clients wants to do something charitable in their will, you know, this client may be in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's going to be around hopefully for hopefully, a while. Yeah. <laughs> and so her point was working with the community foundation is really of such benefit to her and her client because we, we are testing the pulse of what's going on on the ground now, but also into the future. And so when this client sets up the fund and says, you know what, I really want when the time comes, I want a certain percentage of my, of my estate to go and support education work in Snohomish County. That right now, priorities for education might be one thing, but 20 years from now, it might be something else. And because of our endowment, because we are going to be around in, into perpetuity, that we, our board, their responsibility is to fulfill that donor's wishes now and in the future. And so I think for, for estate planning attorneys in particular, who are talking about future planning, who are talking about future giving with their clients, is those connections that we're creating in communities, that knowing that we are connected and we know what the issues are now, but because of those relationships, we will continue to understand what the community needs in any given point in time, that's huge. 
Yeah. And, and it's, it's huge for the professional advisors, but as well as for those families, right? right. Because that I think is really key of something that we offer when estate planning too, is there's, there's somebody who wants to give money, but they want their families involved, but their families mm-hmm. don't know it any better either. And so we actually, that you have your families involved, they'll be meeting with us and we'll find it for it too. So it goes again, that's what I think makes us unique is that that spectrum here's the money, we know you could do well by it for the education, or here's the money, and I want you to work with my family to Mm -hmm. continue to do it for the next three generations. And we could do that. And for each generation, it will look educational, look different. Or if you have your four favorite charities, and here's your four favorite charities, well, you know what, in 50 years, those four favorite charities could look different. We continue to vet and make sure. And if that, and if there's mergers, acquisitions, we make sure that the intent of that donor is, is maintained. So again, we continue to be that partner in philanthropy, as you said, you know, forever in that type of thing. And um, I think that being able to do that generational knowledge and being able to um, support families and how they want to give is also unique to a community. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And really sets us apart from other donor advice funds. Yes, absolutely. Which is, absolutely. Which is so key. Yeah. So, yeah. so Angela, tell us a little bit about, walk me through it. Okay. So advisor says, Elena, I have a client who wants to set up a donor advice fund. Who can I connect them to at the community foundation? So I say, fantastic. I do an introduction to my colleague, Angelique. And then what happens? then I get to meet with them and we then get, you to, get, get to meet them. Yes, yes. I get to meet with them and we, we get into good trouble. Um, <laughs> that's what I say. I, uh, I talk to them just about, you know, what are your interests? What do you like? It is very much a dating matching game because it's right. like, you know, you could get, you know, how vulnerable and everything, but it's like, you know, what it is that you like. And it is interesting because everybody has their preconceived notions. So they'll come in and say, oh, you know, I like healthcare or I'm interested in cancer. And then we start talking about what it is. You know, why is it? What, what, what impacted your life that you want to do this? And then as we start to talk, it could be the research. It could be the, actually the hospice that helped. It could be the transportation that got, who knows what it could be. It could be the um, comfort dog that came in. And so once we start talking about that, we then explore. So how would that, how would that manifest itself in the community? Like, what would you like everybody in the community to always have if your dreams could be met? And then that's when we start to explore what their monies could do. And, you know, depending on the donor, it's, you know, we have our donor advised funds where every year I get the joy of meeting with them. And we talk about what are we going to do this year? Let me tell you about the new things that are happening. Let me tell you about where you've given before. Again, that's our job. I am their, I am their personal concierge. You know, <laughs> I, we, we, we walk through everything and it's like, what, you know, what are you interested in learning about? Do you want to hear about this? Again, centered into that equity, because if we center that, we're actually impacting our communities in a transformative way. And then we talk about, okay, what do you want to do next? What else can we do? We talk about multi-year giving. We talk about sustainable giving. We talk about what's the difference between restricted and unrestricted giving. And those conversations are a whole other podcast, but really it's talking about, you know, how else do we do that? Then also we, we then do start talking about, you know, who else in your family should be hearing this? 
What else should we be doing? You know, how else do you want to make an impact? So for a lot of those people, again, I meet with them once a year, we get into good trouble, we send out the checks, and then I meet again with the other year. Other times, it's like, I'd like you to meet these people because I want them to hear about what you're doing. Sometimes we've made, um, we have quite a few donor advised fund holders who are now volunteering because mm-hmm. they actually wanted to do more, right? They never, now, if you would have talked to them five years ago, they would have never seen themselves doing that. And now they're finding joy in being able to give back to a little bit like that. And so every year we meet and every, and, and I will say I have donors, we meet every quarter, depending on how much money and what it is that we want to give. And also, tell us a little bit about, I mean, interrupt here, but yeah, tell us a sure. little bit about the, the quarterly outreach too, in terms of- Yeah, so, every, so anybody who has a fund with us gets at minimum a quarterly report from me, which shows here's what's happened in the last quarter with your fund. So here's your earnings. Here's how much money you gave out in grants. And then we also then talk about um, what um, we've done as a community foundation. So this is what we've done. Here's where we've impacted the community. Here's Elena's podcast link. <laughs> you should listen to her. You know, this is here's here's training opportunities. You know, here's other ways you can get involved and that type of thing. So that's minimum what they get. And then, you know, again, every January, February, I make sure there's a contact of like, do you want to meet? What do you want to do? How do you want to talk? In addition, as I'm learning about new projects, new programs, new collaboratives, I'll shoot off emails. Hey, did you hear about this? Would you like to learn about this? I'm going on a site visit. Do you want to come along? In fact, I'm having one in, in a couple of, through someone that Elena actually contacted with, um, two site visits of organizations he's interested in taking a look at, and we're going to go and see it. So again, it's it, it really depends on how much donor. I will say most donors, when they first start, it's like, great, quarterly, I meet them once a year. Then it's like, okay, you know what, now next year, well, let's talk a little bit more and then next year we're more. And then, then we start to have coffee, lunch when we can again. Right. And, that and it's totally up to the donor too. I mean, some, some donors yeah. are, are much more involved in sort of yes. volunteering and the right. meeting than other donors are. So it's yes. really donor and, yes. focused. And some donors, you know, the beauty of the community foundation is some donors never want these organizations to know who they are. Yeah. And we can protect that. They still want to know everything about it. They want to be involved, but they want to have, they don't want the mailings or they don't want to be listed or they don't, you know, and that, and we offer them that buffer of being able to be completely involved without being completely seen. And that really is valuable to a lot of donors who um, not only have resources, but also want to give out of pure philanthropy, that it's not just for themselves and that we allow them to do that as well. So you're absolutely right. It depends on the donor. Again, that's our uniqueness. You want me me or anybody else on the staff regularly? You get us, you know, we're here. <laughs> and then if you only want to see my emails every quarter, that's okay too. That's fine too. I'm not going to bug you. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, because I, I know, because I get, that question of okay, so what's what's the the communication going to be with my with my client? So tell us too a little bit about the initial meeting. So when you set up, so we have our fund agreements mm-hmm. that we get everything down in mm-hmm. terms of the amount of money, the percentage of the fund that they that they want to grant out every year. Um, tell us about that process, Angelique. Yeah. But then also tell us about that future planning piece. Cause I know that's, sure. that's really important too. That is very important. So the great thing about the fund agreement is kind of like your framework. 
And from that, we're able to ask and answer every question. So even from the naming of your fund, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, you want to name it after someone, you want to name it for someone. Um, you know, we, we have very interesting names. So we, we explore that. The payout rate, you know, you can do anywhere from four to 10%, which again is really a conversation of how long do you want this fund to last? How much do you want to give out? What does that look like? Um, and so we go through all of those. What is, how, how you can give a grant out, what that looks like. We have an online portal. And so again, donors never really have to talk to me, although I'm quite fun. They can do everything through our portal and just request grants and do everything like that. But also we have forms. So we go through all of that legalese about where their role is as a donor, where our fiduciary role as a community foundation is. We talk about what our benchmarks are for our funding and we go through that because you know it's different than personal. And yes, so we yes. explore what that looks like. And then we talk about the future planning, which is when you're no longer here, um, what do you want to happen to the fund? And you have absolutely every option you can think of. You can say, when I'm no longer here, I want it to go to these four organizations. You can say, I want the community foundation to decide what to do. You can say, I want it all to be cashed out give the money out to the community. You can say, I want it to live in perpetuity, give out a percentage of it. You can say, I want my neighbor and his dog to decide, although the dog, maybe not so much, but the neighbor, they can come to the office. <laughs> yes, yes. They, can, they decide, they become the fund advisors and they get to decide. And, and we actually go through multiple. So if the, say you, you pick your neighbor and his dog and the neighbor moves away and doesn't wanna do it anymore, you have somebody else. So we actually have contingency plans. So, okay, that didn't work out. What's the next plan? So you, you have, so even while your, your wishes will be fulfilled, no matter if you're with us or if you're not. And when, and I even mean that when you're with us, yes, when you die, but maybe you move away or maybe again, you're traveling Mm -hmm. or that type of thing. These wishes are, are in paper. And that's why those fund agreements and those future planning are so important. What's great though, is that future planning can change. That is a form that we can change. So you just, your neighbor builds a fence you don't like. So now him and his dog are gone, <laughs> but <laughs> your grocer now has become your favorite friend. Grocer? <laughs> oh, grocer. I, I was trying to, I didn't want to say kid. I was coming up with something. I don't know, your hairdresser, your, your masseuse. <laughs> Okay, your kid, you, you and your, you, you know, you want your kid to, so you can change it and it now becomes that. Or you could decide, you know what? I've worked with the community foundation for 10 years now. I actually want them to do it, but I want them to tell my family how it's being done. We could do that too. Right. So the, the, that's the beauty of those succession planning because we know things change. So we're able to do and talk through those and those can be changed at any time. And, and um, it's also part of a great rich conversation of what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think too, one of, again, kind of getting back to my advisor audience too, I think especially for estate planning attorneys, that one of the benefits, kind of one of the selling points that they talk to their clients about, about that ability to change the future planning, about to have these conversations is, whereas every time that client meets with the attorney, the billable hours start, yeah, right? but when they meet with a community foundation, if they want to change something about their, about their future planning, about their grant making, that's free. That's a that's free, free meeting to meet yep. with Angelique. Yep. And so that really, and I'll even pay for the coffee. And you pay, <laughs> we will pay for the coffee. We will pay for the coffee. We drink yes. a lot of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's a really good point because if you're doing your estate planning, what makes it easy too is you have a named fund. So the Elena fund is what's going to be in your estate plan. But that fund can change regularly. Your estate plan never has to change. So Elena has a fund that she first wants to give it to these two organizations when she passes away. And then, you know what? She found a third. She doesn't have to go back to the lawyer. She just comes and says, I want to add a third. Okay, we do a paperwork, you sign it. Now that's the third. So that's a really good point of that. That's an ongoing conversation that can constantly be updated, changed, discussed with no cost because your estate plan has that fund name. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, and two for, I'm hoping that most of the estate planning attorneys listening to the podcast know this, but if you don't, because I'm constantly talking about it, whenever I talk to an estate planning attorneys, we actually have bequest language all ready to go for you. So we have, it's a little fill in the blank. So if anyone's wondering what, what's, what are the, what's the wording to put in someone's will um, or other estate documents, then we have that all queued up. That was, it's been, you know, vetted and re-vetted um, by some great estate planning attorneys in Snohomish County. So that's always an option as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Our goal is, is to make to make your work as easy as, as possible. Um, right. In terms of the yeah, advisor and if, the client. Yes. If we make the advisor's job easier, then we get to do the fun stuff, which is how exactly. do we do the philanthropy? And so we do work hard of, of how to do it. And I think that's another good point, Elena, is that you know, the professional advisors can always call us as too, right? They don't always have to send the client to us, right? Hey, my client has this question. We'll answer it. We'll answer the phone and we'll talk to anybody. I mean, you know, that type of thing. But I think it's really great to also for your professional advisors to, you know, my client's asking this, is this even possible? And it, and us to explain about, yes, it is, or no, it's not, but here's what is available. Yeah. And I think the other thing that makes us unique is we also really are transparent about we're not the best fit. If your client wants to give to Chicago-based nonprofits, we will connect you with a community foundation in Chicago that will do the job we're doing. But if your client is here and wants to do here, somewhere in the region, we can do it. So I think that's the other thing is that, that we're really good at not only answering those questions, but if we're not the right fit, we'll find the right fit for you. Exactly, exactly. And I know that, that I know I say this a lot and I know you and Carrie and other folks say it to donors as well, is that our goal as a community foundation is to increase philanthropy in the community. Yeah. And if that means that your client or the donor sets up a, a donor advice fund with us, the Community Foundation of Snohomish County, fantastic. But if it also means that Elena or Angelique or whoever you talk to at the Community Foundation says, you know what, actually, we're not the greatest fit, but let me introduce you to who might be. Let me introduce you to an individual nonprofit. Let me in- introduce you to the Chicago or Boston or Seattle Foundation um, or somebody else who might be able to help you better. Our goal is met. We're increasing philanthropy. Um, It's really, we're really donor focused. And that always has been um, our priority is to make sure- Can we explore, like I, we have a great example for that, Elena, is the um, RMDs for um, IRAs. Yeah, yeah. So the, the required minimum distribution, a lot of people who are, what is it, 71 now and a half? 72. Now? 72. It, yeah, it depends when you turn 70. I don't, yeah. So with the you, Secure Act, yeah. It's your 72. audience is going to know that better than I yeah. <laughs> yeah, So QRMDs, the Qualified um, um, Required Q, Minimum Distribution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for um, IRAs a great way for those who don't need that for themselves to give money into the community. 
And the fact is the, the way the law is written, it cannot go into a donor advice fund, but that doesn't mean that we can't advise where it goes. Yep. And we are happy to talk to you or your donors about where it can go and how to do it. At the same time, we just had just this past year, a donor who called, um, you know, do you have a favorite charity? And she was like, no, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> and I said, well, let me talk to you about our community impact funds, which again are like give to the environment, give to human services, give to the arts. And she goes, that's what I want to do. She goes, I don't want to decide. You guys are the experts. And she gave us the RMD. So I think, again, that's the type of thing that we could offer the listeners here is like, if they aren't sure where they want to give their RMD, but they know they want to be philanthropic, they can give it to us and we will make sure it goes out to the community. And so yes. both ends are met at the same time. If it's like, no, I really like this nonprofit, we'll help them figure out how to get it to their nonprofit. Cause sometimes that could seem like, oh, how do I do it? How do I give it to them? So we're able to do that as well. So that's a great example of, we just want that money out in the community. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and usually I'm so glad you brought up the, the gifts from your IRA. So, you know, when, when turning an RMD required minimum distribution into a QCD, the qualified charitable distribution that for, whether it's for tax reasons, whether it's for charitable reasons, usually it's a combination of the two right. that you can give up to a hundred thousand yeah. dollars um, out of your IRA, just so long as it goes directly to the organization. Some options. There are so many options out there. I can't go to a donor advised fund, but the community foundation has a lot of other ways that we can help you set up funds through us, or if it makes the most sense to connect you directly to an individual nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, and I, I think, you know, that, that QCD option from your IRA is becoming more and more popular with folks, especially with the, the latest, you know, the, the latest tax legislation around those of us who itemize our taxes, those who don't itemize our taxes to take a standard deduction. Um, there are so many different options. Um, well, yeah, and that's, again, going on that with an, another real life example is um, you can start a, a donor advised fund that's a designated fund with your required minimum distribution. So you actually can start a fund. It's just that you as a donor can't just, you, you get to decide at the very outset. So a designated fund is you're designating ahead of time which nonprofits you want to give to. And so if you create a designated fund, you can put your um, RMD into that. Right. And, and it's, it's not a donor advised fund. It's, it's a completely different it's, kind yeah, of fund. Yeah, it's a completely yeah. different kind of fund. So we had another donor do that. And what's great about it is because we have a $25,000 minimum to endow a fund, he, you, he can build a fund. So he is building it over two years. He gave us part of his RMD last year. He's going to give us part to get to the 25. And I'm working with him on what his favorite charities are. So we are, you know, we could, we could go on and oh, on. Oh, I said they, we could do our own series us, ourselves. Right? A the little, two of us love yeah, talking yeah. about the foundation. foundations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you want to talk about next? <laughs> but is, again, so, so that just goes to show that we're going to have to have you back to talk <laughs> for another episode. But just to wrap things up a little bit, I want to talk about community. And so, you know, one thing that I, that I oftentimes ask my podcast guests is what are you excited about in your community? And you can define your community, you know, air quotes, however you want, what are you, what inspires you that you're seeing in the community? Oh, resilience. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have the great joy and pleasure of working with nonprofits and, uh, and that, 
nothing is going to flatten their desire. My community in that sense is the nonprofits and how their resilience and their ability to pivot, adapt, and serve is absolutely awe-inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely agree. Thanks for highlighting that. Oh, this has been so great, Angelique. So what, as we wrap things up, what's, do it? have anything else to share with, you know, again, our professional advisor audience about the Community Foundation, about referring your clients to us? I, I think the only other thing, and I, we've hit on it a million and one times, but that, you, you know, we're here to serve. And there's no question. So it doesn't matter if your client opens a fund or not. It doesn't matter if you refer a client or not. We are happy to help. We're happy to answer a question. We're happy to introduce you to a nonprofit. We're happy to do everything. So I think um, that I would encourage everybody who's listening that, you know, that they're not afraid to give us a call and to ask any of those questions and, and to do any of that, whether they refer a client or not, whether a fund gets open or not, that, you know, the more people are knowledgeable about philanthropy and about nonprofits in our community, the better we're all going to be as a whole. Growing philanthropy in our community, however that takes shape, exactly, it's yeah. a win-win. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Angelique. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Had fun. Right. Take care. Okay.